0: The prime minister said that Canada is an oil and gas company er, (coughs) or country. And we're all like, I was all like, he said it. He finally said it. There it is. He said it.
1: Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Erica. Erica, I'm so glad to be with you today.
0: <laughs> it's fucking snowing, so this is bullshit. It's,
1: it's okay. okay. There are flakes in the air, but it's not as, like technically snowing. There are flurries. <laughs> okay, Aaron,
0: Aaron, it's all snow to me. Okay, because I'm looking outside and there's a white, maybe it's not a blanket it's more like
1: it's more like a shawl it's
0: it's not even a shawl
1: (laughs) it's like a doily like there's holes in this
0: yeah that's true it is like a doily (laughs) but it just reminds me that that winter is coming i love how we just described how much snow there is on the ground by like fashion items and then we went into like tableware (laughs)
1: Today on the pod, we will be discussing all things related to climate following the conclusion of COP26. But first, some housekeeping. We will be running a Twitter space every month, including in December. So stay tuned for future details. These announcements are either coming to you on the podcast, on Twitter, and in our newsletter. So make sure you are signed up for the newsletter because sometimes there are things in there first before everywhere else. We are also hosting our first founding members event later this month. So become a founding member, head over to badbitchypodcast.substack.com to become a paid subscriber, whether you want to do $7 per month, $75 per year, or the founding membership of $200 per year. And you know, you get private events with us if you become a founding member and we just booked one of our biggest guests yet so that will be dropping right before the holidays and it will be a subscription only you know typical little teaser put out but again it will be subscription only and you will definitely want to make sure you have one because Erica and I are both very excited super excited oh my gosh like stressed excited
0: yes like yes. I,
1: there's a lot of preparation we have to do and we haven't done it.
0: <laughs> we, is... we seriously, oh, oh shit.
1: Erica, what uh, what else did you have on, on deck this week? I had a column. I talked about
0: how COP26 was bullshit
1: and we're going to talk about that here today. I feel
0: like we haven't really done a true, true climate policy episode. And here we are. One of the reasons too is because I personally, have stuck my head in the sand a lot of times. Like I've been, obviously I'm aware, obviously I read stuff on it, but it hasn't really, I don't really write about climate or the environment because to me, it's just like, I write about black people and women and like
1: BIPOC and that's depressing enough. I mean, I'm going to add climate to the mix. I'm like, I like hate yeah. to break it to you that those groups of people experience disproportionately negative effects of climate change. So Shocking. So it's just another system
0: plus digital justice. That too, I feel is sort of existential, but like climate is existential and it's here and it's an embarrassment, honestly. COP26 was an embarrassment and it should have been for everybody. And if this is leadership, this is what we're told leadership is. I don't want any of it.
1: And then in other housekeeping, I had a piece out this week in Harper's Bazaar on Succession. And Kendall Roy's faux feminism. So
0: Aaron made Kendall Roy look like Justin Trudeau, and I'm here for it! <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Erica, let's get into it. With current climate policies in place, the world is on track to warm more than 2 degrees Celsius or 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit this century compared to pre-industrial levels. Even the most up-to-date tallies of current pledges for future climate action put the world on track to heat up 1.8 degrees Celsius. This means that even in the event that all countries actually deliver on their most ambitious promises, and that is a big if, we will still overshoot the key Paris goal of 0.3 degrees. And I know that this may seem like a minor difference, but the science is Increasingly clear that every tenth of a degree is disastrous for humanity. That will result in more frequent and intense heat waves, droughts, hurricanes, and wildfires. It'll increase the sea level rise. And ultimately, it will increase global suffering, particularly for our most vulnerable. And after intense negotiations at COP26, the United Nations Conference on Climate Change, that spilled into the weekend. In Glasgow, they ended with minimal progress on, well, any front really, basically beyond an agreement to continue the heated discussions in the coming years, much to the sadness and frustration of many developing nations and activists. Upwards of 109 countries, including the United States, pledged to reduce their methane emissions by at least 30% by 2030 compared to 2020 levels. Methane accounts for about a third of global greenhouse gas emissions. Because it has a short lifespan in the atmosphere, cutting methane levels now is anticipated to quickly reduce the rate of global warming. China, the largest current greenhouse gas emitter, was not part of this coalition, although the country later agreed to, quote, develop additional measures to enhance methane emission control, end quote, before next year in a joint declaration with the U.S., a separate overlapping coalition of at least 141 countries, accounting for more than 90% of the world's forests, agreed to, quote, halt and reverse forest loss and land degradation by 2030, end quote. In addition, a subset of these countries pledged to provide about $12 billion in public finance through 2025 to support developing countries in meeting this goal and, separately, offered $1.7 billion to Indigenous peoples and their efforts to protect forests. A similar deforestation goal was made back in 2014, critics pointed out. What's new here is the addition of actual dollars to help make this goal a reality. Two other coalitions of countries, one, the Powering Past Coal Alliance, and two, the signatories of the Global Coal to Clean Power Transition Statement, announced plans to phase out coal use, with a range of different phase-out dates. But the U.S., China, and India, the three largest coal users globally, did not participate in either of these deals. Cutting methane emissions, stopping deforestation, and ending coal use are all considered critical steps for keeping the 1.5 degrees Celsius target alive. Despite these announcements pushing the conversation forward, it is important to note that they are crucially all volunteer efforts and lack any clear accountability mechanisms which is also true of many of the other pieces of the actual cop26 agreement i think that's a really big thing to focus on is that this conference is great and it's great to have these conversations but in the actual agreement china was continually pushing for less ambitious language for literally no reason because there are no sanctions, there's no accountability to any of this. So it's just like, oh yeah, I, I think this is a good idea in theory, is what you're saying. Meanwhile, you've got the US and India and China not look seeking to reduce their coal dependence and use.
0: Yeah, it's a layup. <laughs> like how do you brick a layup so hard? Like I don't understand. I do understand that structurally India and China have benefited, their economies have very much benefited from the use of coal. And, you know, if I'm India or China, you know, my argument is, well, didn't you industrialize using coal and you expect us to invest in these green initiatives and we're still trying to, you know, modernize our economies so what you saying? Let's just be honest here. The climate crisis was basically caused by a lot of Western countries, a lot mm-hmm. that global North. Now the global North is like, oh, it's a problem. Let's do something about it, but they don't do anything about it, but give themselves accolades just for showing up. Mm-hmm. And most, a, a lot of the climate work has been done outside of those countries. And we act as though we just discovered this. We didn't. Small island developing states have been talking about this since the late 80s and have Mm. been advocating for climate change policies through the UN and have largely been ignored. You know, now here we are at 2021 and, you know, we're still fucking fiddling with, I don't know, like I was going (laughs) to, I was going to make a crude statement, but I I, I said, let me not.
1: <laughs> I, I, I could feel it. I could feel it coming. And I was like, mm. Yeah. So small island
0: developing nation states, uh, SIDS as they're called, are very much like th- some of the most vulnerable to climate degradation, despite their heterogeneity. SIDS are recognized as being particularly at risk to climate change as they share numerous traits and the UN recognizes them as a special group. SIDS have been quite vocal in calling attention to the challenges they face from climate change and advocating for greater international ambition to limit global warming. Due to close connections between human communities and coastal environments, SIDS are particularly exposed to hazards associated with the ocean and cryosphere, including sea level rise, extreme sea levels, tropical cyclones, marine heat waves, and ocean acidification, which I assume will just kill marine life. These hazards have already been affected by anthropogenic climate change and are projected to continue to intensify as global temperatures increase. Marine heat waves have doubled in intensity since the early 1980s, and they've also become longer, more intense, more extensive. These heat waves are expected to increase in frequency, duration, extent, and intensity with global temperature increase.
1: I think it's also important to just note that sea level rise is a very serious issue for these island nations. But then if you think about the concurrent disasters in the event of an earthquake with higher sea levels tsunami effects are just going to be worse right if you think back to what happened in indonesia like that was horrific but if there's just that much more water and that much less land mass because of erosion or whatever sea level rise then that's going to be worse they even say by 2100, the ocean is projected to
0: shift to unprecedented conditions since pre-industrial period, becoming even warmer, further acidified and less oxygenated with the rates and magnitudes of these changes increasing with higher greenhouse gas emissions. So exactly what you were saying, you, we're talking offline about how Ottawa is on a, a fault line or near a fault line.
1: Yes, uh, Ottawa, Montreal is Canada's second largest earthquake fault line. We were talking about this offline and in previous episodes during the election and on the Twitter space that we just had.
0: Well, there you go. (laughs) So we talked about it everywhere. In other words, the first being, of course, coastal BC. Yeah. So basically, this is a Canadian issue, too. You think about Hurricane Katrina and that devastation and who suffers the most. Exactly, what's going on in BC? BC's flooding right now. BC seems to be going through a cycle of heat waves, floods, heat waves, floods, heat waves, floods. And that's not even including, you know, forest fires. And so our land, our climate is changing. There's, I don't see how, you know what? I'm not, even going to, I'm not even going to include, I'm not even going to acknowledge people who don't believe this because I'm not here for them. I'm not talking to them. Okay. So global mean sea level currently rising, ocean waves have also strengthened over the past decades due to ocean warming, particularly in the tropical Atlantic Ocean and Southern Oceans. It is expected that climate change will increase risks for human health. Of particular concern to SIDS is the increasing risk of vector-borne diseases, including malaria and dengue fever, with potential shifts in their geographic range, prolonged transmission seasons, and increased biting rates. There's also an increase of risk of food and waterborne diseases, such as cholera, with the possibility of shifting geographic and seasonal distribution. And if you think of the water crises in indigenous communities in this country, you could definitely see a connection. Undernutrition from reduced food production is expected due to increased temperatures, precipitation changes, and increase in frequency and intensity of extreme weather. These adverse health risks will be particularly acute in low and middle income societies. So I think the breakout star of this COP26, is Mia Motley, who is the Barbadian prime minister, black woman. She just speaks eloquently on all of these intersections. The intersection of country of origin, race, gender, digital, COVID, all of that food insecurity, access to basic health resources, access to clean water all of these things and she honestly understands the intersection of all of those issues and how they relate to climate so in the show notes people I devoted a lot of time and links to these show notes so you all got to read the show notes anyway in the show notes I have linked to Mia Motley's speech at COP26 and another speech that is just amazing that everybody needs to listen to and understand what intersectionality looks like and how those identities and the identities of different people really play into how the differences and the regional differences, too, of the effects of climate.
1: Yeah, if you were in our Twitter space this past week, you would have heard Erica waxing poetic about Mia Motley.
0: (laughs) I totally was. I was, I'm fangirling her, okay? I just... She went in there and told people, this is some bullshit, okay? (laughs) Eloquently, like a West Indian would. You know what I mean? But she definitely said, this is some bullshit and you all should be ashamed of yourselves Mm -hmm.
1: and you're killing
0: us. That's basically, that was basically her speech.
1: I mean, I see no lie.
0: No. And somebody needs to tell the truth. I'm just so tired of us having these complex, people are like, oh, Mm -hmm. it's so complex, well, motherfucker, life is complex. I don't know what to tell you. Okay? You want everything easy, but you want all the benefits of the complexities. Get out of here. The inaction. And I know that people have been feeling this frustration for a long time, but I am just so angry and I'm, I feel hopelessness at the same
1: time. I feel like David. That's what I feel. <laughs> Always carry, carrying the weight of the world, that man. I think that people, including politicians and normal people or non-politicians, think that quick wins are really the only thing that matter. And sure, yeah, it's a good thing to stay on people's radar through quick wins, but it's these really, really complex and chaotic problems that actually have meaningful change. And there's never going to be a silver bullet solution. It's a bunch of incremental progress, but you have to, they have to be going somewhere. And I think that there's its climate policy globally, particularly in Canada, is just very incremental and disjointed.
0: Yeah. And it's avoiding all of the big issues, Mm -hmm. right? That we actually heard on the debate stage.
1: Yeah. And I think that one of the big things that we don't do is we don't talk about the actual costs of climate change in the right way. All we hear about are emissions and emissions this, emissions that, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, but what happens if we don't cut emissions is really, really the question. You know, because, you know, as we said, as I said in the intro to this, climate change, failing to address climate change will make disasters worse and more frequent. Well, that actually results in like a dollar value at some point. Because, and I said this so many times on this podcast and on Twitter spaces, that flooding costs Canada a billion dollars annually every year, every year floods in Canada cost us a billion dollars. Are those just like first
0: order costs? Yeah. Secondary costs, like, for example, the cost of rebuilding lives, Whether that means migration or whether that means like an actual rebuild,
1: communities. It's a a billion dollars in damage. There's a bigger
0: social cost. Yep. Individual cost, obviously. But we don't talk about climate like that. And I have been... Everybody knows, everybody who's been hearing me say anything is that we don't talk about this properly. Yeah. Everything is... It's, it's like jockeying the way it's reported in this country. It's just, it's just not being talked about in a very real way mm-hmm. that a, in a way that, where people can see their, the direct impact on their lives, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? So I'll, like that's that's my problem with media and that's my problem with the way we talk about it. We talk about it in very scientific academic terms Instead of this is what's going to happen if we don't do this. And I, especially coming from Alberta, wish that that were the way we talked about it, because I really do think that people would get it. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, holy shit, you know. Communities destroyed my livelihoods destroyed my my standard of living is destroyed and you know how canadians live to protect the standard of living mm-hmm. right and so yeah that's what i'm that's what i see that the way this has been communicated has been terrible it's been poor and it's so above everybody's head that and then it devolves into this is there climate change? Is it man-made? We devolve into this stupid, like, back and forth. Is climate change real? Seriously?
1: I The fact that that's still even a conversation that it exists is... I th- I feel like that's a dereliction of duty. Like, I, I want nothing to do with you. Like, fuck right off. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, on Tuesday, Tuesday, I went on, like, a Twitter rant, and I was like, this is the most, like, a catastrophic disaster. And I'm like, and I said, this these floods in BC are going to cost over a billion dollars. Just one event, not the whole, for the whole season, not for the whole cycle. No, no, one event is going to be over a billion dollars.
0: Yeah. Think about all the goods that didn't pass through because isn't Vancouver like basically isolated at this point or is it the interior that's
1: isolated? Which there's a part that's isolated and uh, the roads and stuff like that. It's, so they're the main thoroughfare from vancouver to like alberta so vancouver is technically isolated from the rest of the province so in other words vancouver because the roads are washed out it's not even washed it's not even that like there's flooding on the highways or that there are things blocking it the highway doesn't exist like it fell there it it doesn't exist what oh yeah it doesn't exist like it broke apart doesn't exist it's like if you think about when, if you think about uh, a photo of when you see like a massive bridge covering two cliffs and, or if you're watching like a James Bond movie and they're like, oh, the highway is going to end. Uh, that's exactly what it looks like. They're, it just ends. Holy fuck. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, it's not just washed out. It ceases to exist. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. The supply chain in BC is fucked right now. Yeah. Because tourism is fucked. I mean, not that it's necessarily tourist season, but even to get to, like, it's ski season. Yeah. Yeah, it is ski season. Like, there are parts of, like, in Abbotsford where the highway Mm. is just flooded. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, my God. Erin. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just, like, apparently I haven't... That's a
1: lot. Yeah. It's going to take so much money to rebuild that highway.
0: How are people dealing? Like what's going on? So we just had the fire in Lytton, Mm -hmm. BC, which basically did it. I believe it it basically wiped that city out, right?
1: It's a town, but yes.
0: Oh, sorry. The town. It definitely, like that community is gone. I just, I just want people to understand, your entire community, your friends, the people you hung out with, the people you bonded with, the people you gone, relocated. That's what I'm talking about. It is sinking in all week. For me, it's been sinking in more and more what the totality of these effects could be. And I haven't even gotten to the totality. Like this is, we're in a crisis and I know everybody else knows that, but it seems like
1: our leaders don't. I think it's hard to tell if it's that they don't know or they're they're putting on like a nice face or if they just like truly just do not understand. Maybe they don't care. I mean, also that.
0: Or you know what I think too? I think the risk assessment is off. Meaning that it's that risk, that political risk of doing something is always greater than the political risk of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody I'm sure will say, oh, well, you know, we signed on to this deforestation pledge. And my thing is, so what about Ferry Creek? And mm. we see what's going on with what SodaWin right now, where the RCMP are removing the blockades from uh, that hereditary chiefs put up. And so- At the same time that we're signing on to these pledges, and I said this in the Twitter space, we are prosecuting Indigenous land defenders who are the conservators of the land, whose Mm -hmm. whole identity is integrated with the land. And so we're for resource extraction. We're destroying communities. We're destroying the planet while we go to Scotland and sign on to these pledges and then go back to the U S
1: non-binding pledges, non-binding. Yes.
0: Non-binding, which means they can't be enforced, which means this is just, it's just a circle jerk really. Mm -hmm.
1: And so the big dick swinging contest of look at all the things, it's a fucking virtue signaling is what it is.
0: It is virtue signaling. It really is. And it's, it's window dressing because it has no teeth and there's no action and it's it's i it's the duplicity of this country we're so two-faced we're so two-faced and then we go down to the states and talk about how we're an oil and gas company which we are
1: all right erica i think i think we've we've solved the climate crisis obviously <laughs> obviously uh, <laughs> but yeah i i learned a lot i thought this was a really interesting discussion for us to have and an important discussion Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I'm just tired of how we talk about climate change generally. Mm-hmm. It's not emissions. It's not carbon taxes. It's, it's everything. And it's the costs of inaction that I think are more, more salient to people, particularly those who are more focused on the deficit.
0: Oh, those people who do not, people who talk about the deficit all the time do not understand opportunity cost. Mm. And that's what irritates me. They do not, like there's a cost. And and that's what kills me. What kills me is that there's actually an economic foundational piece about Mm. opportunity cost, which actually attributes a cost to not doing something mm-hmm. and we need to talk about climate more in opportunity cost ways
1: yeah so erica we'll be back later this week with misogynists of the week for those of you who are dying to read our show notes make sure you become a subscriber because they're always included in our podcast to our subscribers you can become a subscriber at bad bitchy we tweet out the links to you, the full version, the short version every week on Twitter. So that's also a quick way to get there. It's also on Facebook. Our, we still have a Facebook page, people. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's still on, it's on Facebook. It will automatically, like, it will, as soon as it's posted, it will automatically post on Facebook. Uh, you can get it on Twitter. But really, just, just subscribe. Just subscribe. Really? Like, It's literally, it's $75 a year. Seriously. All right,
1: Erica, we'll be back later this week. So catch you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.